Hello, everyone. This is Vlad, and you're about to listen to the third episode of the Real World Product Management Podcast. Unfortunately, as you're about to hear, it was not recorded in the most ideal of the circumstances, so the quality somewhat suffers. We apologize for that and promise to do better next time. This is Real World Product Management. This is the third edition of uh, Real World Product Management Podcast. We have Irina. Irina, hi. Hi, everyone. And uh, our guest today is Vitaly Veronovich. Vitaly, can you please introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Hello. My name is Vitaly Veronovich. I am Associate Director of User Experience Design at EPAM. So briefly talking about myself, over the last 15 years of experience, I gathered a significant experience working with the product and services, and I'm focused on the full user experience circle, starting from the early concept to the final delivery. Today, we are going to talk about the data-driven approach and how we will implement it in our day-to-day work. Thank you, Vitaly. Since you've already announced the topic, which is great, you said data-driven approach to delivery, right? So what yeah. is the problem? What is the problem? Why do we need yet another approach to delivery? We've been delivering stuff. We as, you know, all the IT in the world been delivering stuff uh, pretty successfully for a number of years. What's uh, what's up with the new data-driven approach to it? That's actually not very new, and, and the problem itself is not also very new. So basically the problem that we face with usually on any new project or product we have been requested to work with or develop with is we are facing a lot with opinion-based things. So many, many times we are facing the situation where somebody has uh, been told to deliver something that you not understand why you need to do this. Moreover, that sometimes you not agree. And this is very often situation when people who are working a lot in the in the client's company, so they're working for a long time, it's hard for them to think out of the box, and they consider themselves as a subject matter expert with a huge amount of experience, and they think that they know the their user's business and user's needs, user's pain points, so basically everything about, about that business, and here is the service company, like where, where I work, and please guide, we have this number of ideas, this number of features, and please build it, build it for us. This is what we're facing with, like, with every new project, and what we want to change here is that we started to asking questions why. So why we need to build this, 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 and this. If we get the answer why, the next question will be, okay, guys, we've built it, so how we will measure success? How we will identify that this feature, this specific feature that we've built for you will work, will improve your customer's life? That's probably the answer. Okay, so if I understand you correctly, you're uh, trying to replace the opinion-based solution with something that's backed up by data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a question then. As a person who came from a company, I myself came from a company where product was built based on opinions and not data, I'm really curious to see how you guys solving the problem that I was faced back in the day. What do you do when there's not enough data? And I imagine it's it's not a new problem either. So what do you do when there's not enough data to outweigh the opinion? 
So first, we try to get this data. Before build something, and in order to build something meaningful, something that will bring value, we need to understand what is the what is the problem today. And basically, we need to come up with some problem statement or point of view. And to get to this problem statement, we need to put data in front and center. Two kinds of data, qualitative and quantitative data. So qualitative data, we are gathering by using the analytics. So we have digital analysts in our team who are helping us with getting this kind of data that will give you the understanding of how the current solution works in terms of analytics, in terms of behavioral patterns. So basically, we get the answer what people do in your solution today. And uh, qualitative data will give you the answer why, why they behave like this. Sometimes it's very hard to answer this question using the quantitative data only. After that, we'll get the 360 view on the problems that we have today, and we can compare it against the KPIs that we have in this particular business model of our client. And this is the foundation for any of our hypotheses that we will work uh, in the future. So then we build the hypothesis. We'll probably eliminate the problems and improve the situation. So when we build a solution based on the hypothesis, we definitely will measure. So we measure the success and we measure against KPIs. KPIs is the core here. And um, measuring the success will give you the understanding if this feature, if this design works or not. This is not like a shiny icons or great looking feel. So that is not enough. What is enough is that you will get numbers. Numbers that this solution will work. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Again, I'm just uh, following up on certain things you said. You mentioned that you're looking at behavioral patterns and you're looking at what people do. And to me, again, correct me if I'm wrong, to me that sounds like either applying user personas or your blind jobs to be done. Do you have any specific discerning ideas, like which one do you apply in which case or not really? We are shifting from personas, you know, to jobs to be done because we are working with the, with the huge companies, right? So they would have a lot of personas and what we see in our work, so probably this is our specific, these personas have so many overlapping, overlapping, let's say, jobs to be done, then the persona does not have a lot of sense to be considered. So what we consider is more and shifting more is to the jobs to be done format, which is very convenient for us to understand the user's tasks and the user and user's behavior. So it's like working with the fundability, right? One of our clients, which is a very huge company, one of the main tasks for their for their customers is to find the right product in uh, like very very huge catalog, like where where we have millions of uh, products. And fundability is uh, is crucial there, and we cannot stick to any personas because they they need different products for different personas, but they, they have become an issue on the ability. It's like, if I will give you an example, so if we are waiting in the queue to buy a coffee, 
it doesn't mean who am I, a designer or CEO of, uh, of a huge company. Uh, we have the same jobs to be done, to buy a coffee. So that's where, what we think is more efficient to work with than the persona. Yeah, I agree. And uh, my experience was pretty much the same. We've uh, used personas before, and at some point we realized that personas are not the way to go. The job yeah. to be done is. But I just have to mention that if uh, if I'm CEO standing in line for coffee, uh, I'm, I'm planning my day wrong. <laughs> okay. That, no, that was that was uh, that was really good and insightful. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to um, bring up another another thing that you've said. Again, one of the things uh, you mentioned before, you mentioned that analyzing why people behave like they behave, why people behave like this, is very complex and uh, one of the biggest problems. Understanding why they do what they do. Can you, from your point of view or from your experience, can you talk a bit more about how you guys tackle this problem? We, yes, we all agree it's hard. I trust me, I've been there, I've been in your shoes as well, and I I understand it's hard. How do you guys tackle the problem? How do you, what's your approach? How do you even look at this? Like, where do we start? So basically, we uh, talk to users, so users should consider user voice as one of the main source for your data. You can talk to users directly. You can talk to users, read, I don't know, some verbatims from from the surveys, from different surveys, if your client company has it. Or you can you can run this survey. Or even what we uh, what we also did, by the way, this is very interesting. Since the, the company that we are working right now is a is a worldwide company, they are represented in many countries. It's very uh, it's very hard for us to go in every country and to get the voice of their users and to see the difference, like, like the cultural differences probably, or country-specific things. So what we did, by the way, is not only interviewing respondents and customers by ourselves, but we created, a, let's call it a framework, so that includes a discussion guide, the methodology to the people to clients, people, to client, to client employees, representatives in these countries, and we gave them this framework in order to get the user voice. So they basically interviewed users using our discussion guides, using our materials, and sent their own materials to us. And then we were processing these materials and uh, get the data from them. This is basically what we, what we are working with this problem. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, by the way, this is from the list of questions that we have based on the webinar you did prior and, and which is what this discussion is based on. Are there any trends of using AI or ML for focus group interviewing or in, in broader terms, are there any uses of AI and ML to process that raw data that you were uh, receiving from your interviews? Yeah, we have these initiatives, uh, so they are in the very beginning. So in, actually today I had a call with our technical guys, how we can use it in our work. We come up with some, with some ideas and we definitely will elaborate more on that because there are a lot of opportunities to work with it, to use AI and the machine learning in our work. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a technical guy to answer this question, unfortunately. If you want me to connect with this guy who asked this question. No, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's, more, it's, more about, it's more about whether you have enough data or not. And then, obviously, we're not 
experts in everything. Obviously, we need yeah. we need folks to subject matter experts. It's just a question of are you guys getting enough data to even think about AI ML? Yeah, to give you an example, uh, yeah. in one of my previous engagements, the team, the product management team, which the design was part of, was also tasked with doing the customer's interviews and some of our users asked if we can, if we're going to be using AI and ML to analyze the data we're getting. And we said, no, we can't really use uh, AI and ML to analyze the data, the um, data from the interviews we're doing with you as our users. However, since we are gathering data of your interactions with your customers, which is way more plentiful, where there's a lot more data, and it's a voice data, so we can do voice to text and then process the text for whatever sentiment analysis, okay. natural language processing, all the all the cool buzzwords that we keep hearing over and over. Uh, we can do that to tell you more about your own customers. So whereas we can't use it on you guys, we can use it for you, not on our users, but for our users. And that was That's an interesting really pivot for them. And again, we're not, we're not, we don't have to be experts in everything, but we need to know kind of what, what's in there, what's not. That's All a right. really good example. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. It's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I was just wondering, just to wrap this one up, what amount of information were you guys processing? And, and, uh, how did you, how did you even manage that? I mean, I understand it's not a couple of questions. It should be a pretty big number to give you a significant insight into what's going on. Who, who processed uh, the data? Like, what? How much data did you guys have? Was, was that like hundreds of questions, hundreds, hundreds of surveys, thousands, millions? What was? Just give us a ballpark. Yeah, it's it's thousands. It's not millions. It's thousands. But we definitely use some internal tools to work with, with the surveys. So we identified the most critical touch points. So, but basically, our most critical touch points already identified. In the, in the current solution. And what we try to do right now is uh, to get, let's say, from the, from the surveys, uh, and, sur- and surveys, by the way, is also attached to the specific touch points. And what we are trying to do is to get, try to correlate these answers and stro- correlate this uh, verbatim to the touch points that we have and basically focus on this first on the most critical first, and then continue with the, with the others. I don't know if I answered your question, but but this is what we are trying to do right now. Oh yes, yes, you did. Thank and you. And so, Vital, you actually mentioned a couple of things that you're doing. On one hand, side you said that you are sharing these surveys and basically getting the raw data, and on the other hand, side you said that you are doing the value proposition canvas, and it helps a lot. How those two things live together and what goes first? And is it actually possible to fill in the position canvas when you're remote and when you're not talking to the end users? Because in most of the cases, what most people are trying to do is actually to have a workshop, like face-to-face workshop to fill in the canvas. So how do you overcome this challenge of being remote in your case? So, you know, unfortunately... We didn't use valid preposition canvas in our work. So for us, this activity was not very helpful. So it will give you some kind of the understanding. But, you know, we have a lot of other activities uh, that we are using in our work. So they are very specific. We choose them based on the task that we are going to solve. 
but value proposition canvas is too general and didn't didn't help us a lot, unfortunately. So that's why we we, we basically remove it from the list of activities that we are usually do for the client. Cool. That is okay. interesting. Okay. Thank you. That was interesting because, uh, you know, in, in the classic product management, you do use those things. And so it was interesting to see a different experience. Thank you for sharing. I want to just go back a little in what you said because the, we, we had one of the questions from your webinar that also proposes a slightly different, and, and I like different opinions. That's why we have you guys on the podcast. The question states, I would actually argue the amount of research and time spent on research directly correlates to the level of uncertainty. In other words, the way I read this, the more data you have and more time you spend on research, the more uncertain you are. In layman terms, this means the more data you have, the less you know. Do you have um, any experience, especially from latest products that you worked on and latest engagements, that would speak to that? Like, did the amount of research and time spent on research really help or did did it actually introduce some level of uncertainty? So, you know, we did different kinds of researches and I, I more or less agree with this. So we spent almost a half a year on research and I found myself thinking of, you know, if we spent like twice less time or even like, oh, a month on the research, it will be enough and we will get more or less the same amount of information to to build our hypothesis. I fully agree with this. We do not try to spend more than a month on the discovery phase, even less. So we try to spend more than two weeks. Of course, it depends on the problem. Of course, it depends on the problem that you are working with. But if we are talking about the, I don't know, like a feature in your application, not a very big feature, it's not worth to spend like a month of uh, discovery. Basically what we, what, what I see from my experience, you can do it in a month, not more. So let me throw a curveball here. You, what you're talking about is the low of diminishing returns. You figured something in three weeks and in the next three weeks, you don't really figure out anything new. So it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to spend more time. That's the law of diminishing returns. You're not yeah, getting, yeah, yeah. really getting anything. What this question asks really is, hey, we know A, B, and C today. We started doing research. Now we're not sure. Is it A, B, and C? Is it X, Y, and Z? Is it alpha, beta, and gamma? You know, the more research we do, the more uncertain we are, the less we know. And that's what yeah, the question yeah, yeah. asks. And And it seems like... You guys are tackling this by kind of doing this stuff. And, okay, we know this. Let's stop here and let's build it. And uh, that leads me into <laughs> into the next yeah, question. But, yeah, but, you know, then it's endless process. You know, you can do research forever. So you need to stop somewhere and probably, yeah, you definitely will uncover some things that need more investigation. Probably, yes. But in this case, what we usually do is that, okay, guys, here we have a clarity. Here we can proceed with some hypothesis, but here we need more, we need more investigation. And it could be like another task. So you just need to, to split it in, in many different tasks. Otherwise, you will do research for, I don't know, for a year. I don't know. I, I'm not sure I, that I actually agree with you. I, I, 
I actually agree with you. Thank you. But, but uh, just just to to follow up on this one, I, I agree with you. You need to break down the tasks. So just okay, what do you stop breaking down? What level of product capabilities is that? Uh, the, the product level, the capabilities level, at, I don't know, feature, epic story. Where do you guys place that research and which level of product utilization? Different level. It could be it could be even a small task. It could be even a, I don't know, an epic, or mm-hmm. it could be an overall uh, view on the applications. Basically, what we we did recently, we conducted a research for the entire application of our client, and this this research was not the learning phase, but more like a measuring phase. So these guys they delivered a number of features. All of them were opinion-based because multiple stakeholders were involved and everybody had an opinion about that. And what we did is that we evaluated these features first, and then we evaluated overall experience with application and with, with, with this client's other platforms. So what we find out is that first, these features work. These features don't make any sense. So this is this was in our report. And another thing that probably guys need more investigation on how you will position your application. Because now what we understood during the research that for their customers, they do not understand why this application for. They have so many features. So the feature cluttering is huge there. And they just do not understand what this application for. Is it a replacement for another platform for the website? Or this application is augmenting this website? They just do not know. So, so the value proposition was not clear to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is the good example of probably to say that, guys, look, here you go. This is our playback about these features. But what you need to investigate more in the positioning, in the developer position of your application overall. Okay, thank you. That mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. Let's move on uh, because uh, we keep mm-hmm. going back to what, what you said. Let's keep moving forward. We mostly talked about qualitative data, the qualitative mm-hmm. data in terms of doing the product research and measuring products success or uh, product impact. What about quantitative? Uh, can we talk a bit more? And, and it probably would make sense to spend a few minutes on talking about the specifics of this particular case that we're talking about. What kind of product is that? Is that, an, is that a web application? Is that a mobile application? So that we would understand what the quantitative data are we able to collect and what was collected in real life. Uh, it depends. You know, the, every time we face with the wind problem, when we start working on the quantitative data, we see the problem that the level of maturity in terms of reading the data, in terms of tool set and all the things is not enough on client side. And uh, first, what we do is a kind of the first the assessment. The assessment in this area, and then we come up uh, usually with with a number of improvements, and only after that we start collecting data. Otherwise, you will get the wrong data, and based on the wrong data, you should be very careful here because based on the wrong data, you will you can build the wrong hypothesis, and this is not acceptable. 
So first we, we, we do this. So the next level. Next level is we working on a measurement plan. So what is, what is a measurement plan is that how we measure success of world product and some specific feature related to so basically we are we are working with the KPIs. There are level of levels of KPIs. Some of them are behavioral UX KPIs that are connected to the buttons, to the call to actions, and things like that. And other things are the leading or business KPIs we call them. Is the things that are related to, to the conversions. And then the next level so the, the highest level is the main KPI. It differs from, from business model to so business model. It could be uh, revenue, it could be user base growth, it could be an uh, NSS, why not? So what we do is that we try to connect all these KPIs, and based on this, we create a measurement plan. And every feature that we are working on next, and we are building, we connect to the measurement plan and uh, connect to the KPIs and look how effective and how efficient it is. I don't know, probably it's a little bit clumsy explanation without whiteboarding or having a slide, but I hope you will get it. No, that, we get it. <laughs> we get it. Thank you. And um, just to clarify, your hierarchy of KPIs is the, on top, or the most important ones are your uh, financial or your, your overall growth KPIs. Then you have uh, business KPIs like conversion rates, probably daily average users, those kinds of things. And then you yeah. have behavioral level KPIs on the bottom, which are tied into individual control elements like car, like car, car abandonment, you know, so how many yeah. people click this button versus that button and so on. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Thank you. That, that, that is interesting. Uh, and thank you. Thank you for elaborating on this. So are you using KPIs for any kind of decision making, prioritization, or using anything else? Or are you using KPIs for everything? This is a data driven approach to delivery. What, what, what is the role of KPIs in all the other methodologies or all the other ways to prioritize and figure out what is it that we're building. Yes, a long story short, yes, KPI KPI drives our priorities. So KPIs are connected to the business model. And the clients are doing the business, right? So they want uh, their backlog, they want their roadmap to be related to the business they are doing. But what we are doing is that we trying to bring uh, value to the business with every feature that we are working on. And based on this, we are creating our roadmaps. So your your roadmaps are solely based on KPIs? Yeah, so they should be related to the KPIs. Okay, okay. So my question to you is about how would you align your KPIs the vision and the strategy that most probably was set uh, before you started your search and then pains and gains and needs uh, that you found that you identified 
during search, during their search. Mm-hmm. So how uh, how can you align those three streams and how do they work in together in order to build one roadmap? So we have KPIs, we have vision and strategy for a management team, and we have mm-hmm. the research results, right? So mm-hmm. what goes first? What takes the priority? Okay, so I think it's very the answer is very easy. So the product vision and KPIs should be not contradictory to each other. They serve uh, the same serve the same goal, right? So if you have the product vision, then you definitely should have a business model, and uh, a business model so should definitely have the KPIs to measure if this business successful or not. This is the first thing. And if we are talking about the user needs, about the pain points that user have, what drives business is the user satisfaction. So if users are loyal to you, if the irritation is very high, that drives the daily active users and monthly active users' KPIs, for example. If your user satisfaction is good, is high, then it should drive your main KPIs, like revenue or user-based growth. So all the things are very, very connected and they are serving the same thing. Okay. And who defines KPIs? So who breaks down the vision into the KPIs? Is it you and your team? Is it anyone on the client side? So how those are being created? We do it collaboratively with the client. We can probably come up with some ideas. Then we discuss it together, and uh, the final decision is collaborative decision. I see. Thank you. Thank you, Tali. This is great. Yes, I had similar question in the list of questions that we got from your webinar, so thank you for answering those as well. I uh, have another one that is sort of applied to most of the body of knowledge you've shared with us. So let's step back a little from uh, details and look at this a little bit holistically. Uh, one of the questions here we have asks, was it challenging to explain to the customer the reason for time-consuming research before actual build phase? And uh, if I can expand on that, the real question here is how you justify research to the customers, given that this this is effectively a consulting assignment, most of these are, how do you explain to them that you need to do research and spend time, money, and resources on something that will effectively never be built versus, hey, I know what we need to do. Just go and build it. Like, What is the rationale? What is the approach? What is the take? And is there any data-driven material, data-driven, I don't know, decisions or data-driven approach that can help you justify doing the research and finding more data versus, hey, you already have some kind of a data. Go and build stuff. That is that is an excellent question, by the way. What I can say that there is no, like, silver bullet of how to solve this problem. It depends on the culture of the, in the company. So some of them are not ready to change. They have a fear of fail, and fail is considered as something that is very negative. Fear of uh, how to say. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean. It's a fear of failure, not not as much as the actual failure, but the optics of it. Yeah. How do you yeah, how yeah. do you go there and and tell them? Oh, hey, we did the research. Uh, we had three hypotheses, and all three failed. Even though that that's the expected result, you didn't expect to succeed all the time. 
your upper management would say, like, why are they experimenting if, if they're always failing? I, I had this very don't, similar don't, experience. Don't, don't do this instead of, instead of experimenting. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And then the upper management will always have an opinion on what to do if you're failing constantly. And yeah. it, I, I had a similar experience, and it's, it's, it's good that we talk about this because a lot of stories that I hear on, on all the product management talks are, hey, we came in, we were great, we solved this problem, management loved us, yeah. and we built this amazing product. And what we don't hear about is all these stories of failure and how management said, guys, you keep failing all these experiments. Why do we keep doing this? And believe it or not, these are way more, <laughs> way more relevant and they happen way more yeah. often. Uh, it, just, just to relate, I had the same experience in one of my previous engagements where uh, we would introduce the whole uh, idea of product mindset, the whole idea of, hey, guys, you need to run experiments. Not all of them will be successful. And you need to make sure that you understand and management understands that some of the experiments will fail, and that's a good thing because it tells you what not to build, what not to spend your money on. And the yeah. fear in the eyes of these people was absolutely stunning. So we would run an experiment, and they would always report success to the upper management and said, hey, guys, you only built one prototype. You can't really say you're successful because you haven't tried other things. And the response yeah. was, no, we can't try other things. We may fail, and then they will tell us that we're not doing the right job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I agree. So that's a lot of stories that we are facing with. So then people are they definitely feel like not very confident with these failures and this is not supported by by their bosses and yeah another thing that i can say that some of them have already understood that they need to talk to the users they need to be data to be considered and they are okay with the failures what they want to do is to understand how they don't understand how to do this and this is where we can help. Then you don't need to convince this guy. You probably need to convince the details, but you don't need to convince the, important, the importance of research, of discovery phase, of getting the data. Of course, it's easier to work with these guys, but there are different levels of maturities. So, so some of them do like a baby steps in these directions. Some of them are more mature. But it's great to work with these guys. And if we go go back to the first uh, kind of the uh, of the clients who have who have this fear of fail, you definitely need can improve the situation. So you need to talk to them. You need to ask the right questions. There shouldn't be a one one crazy guy in your team who continue asking this question like box clamantes in. Deserto, right? It should be a team. It should be team voice. So not only designer, not only BA, not only a developer should ask these questions, but the team should ask those questions, and then you might probably will be heard. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we have this uh, product management role and product management competency in the product mindset. I keep repeating this, and I uh, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but... I keep saying that product manager is a thankless job. If if you fail, it's your fault. If you succeed, then it's a team effort. So <laughs> you rarely get the thanks. But, yes, that's the person, not the only one, like you said, not the crazy guy, but the product management is the person who leads the effort, at least in my eyes, in my opinion. 
there's the person who leads the effort and talks to your uh, executive tier about, hey, this is what needs to be done. This is what it's going to look like. This is, you know, all the failures you guys going to face, but it needs to be done. Speaking of which, I like to use another question that we have from, from the list of questions we got from your webinar. And it's really interesting because it kind of segues into the previous discussion. So you have enough data to convince people that this is the stuff need to build, not that. You kind of have enough data for a data-driven decision. And mm-hmm. you kind of stepped over the part where you can identify whether the decision is opinion-based or not. So opinion-based decision is when just one person tells you, hey, this is, you know, this yeah. is what, you, what I think needs to be done. And when you have a large enough body of data, you say, hey, 80% of our customers want this feature. So I understand you're an expert, but our customers want to do this thing. And, and there's a balance. You, we can argue that there's a balance. That proverbial uh, Ford's uh, quote, if I ask my customers what they want, they'd want the faster horse. They wouldn't want a yeah, car. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so there's a balance. It's a balancing act between what customers want and what they really need. Maybe customers, and, and I've been in that situation as well. I've been in a situation when customers kept asking for a faster horse. That's a really interesting question. What are the pitfalls or what are the disadvantages or what are the dangers, uh, however you want to address this? Any, any precautions that you need to make when you're doing a data-driven proje- uh, projects or when you're building data-driven products or you're using data-driven insights for prioritization what could go wrong if you're using data-driven approach? I would say that you should be very, very, very accurate in reading the data first. It's very tricky, and you can make a lot of mistakes here, what leads you to bad consequences. This is the first thing. And another thing that you said, very good thing, that Somebody's opinion should be considered as well. So what we have, let's call it not a data driven. Let's call it data informed. This is also the term that a lot of our, the, the, the lot of us used, right? So uh, the, what what data gives you is just the data. It's just the, probably when I talk to customer, you get the opinion of these guys. When you talk, when you look at the data. You look how these opinions, uh, opinions are scalable, yeah, in, in, in your, in your solution or product. But what you are, uh, what you, what, what hypothesis that you are doing, it's, it's basically your opinion is, is what, how you read in the data. And this is where we have, uh, where you should be very accurate and when you, you should be, uh, you, you should, where, where the pitfall is. So this is, this is why, what, what I think is the most dangerous place. So to summarize that, you need to collect the right data and you need to be able to interpret the collected data correctly. Yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah, correct. yeah. <laughs> yeah we've seen that. <laughs> All right. It's uh, very easy. It's it's very easy to manipulate with the data, you know. <laughs> oh yes, and uh, I've I think I've seen these this question come up uh, pretty recently in some of the product management uh, discussions online. Uh, the question was, uh, you know, what, what do you hate about being a product manager? And one of the reiterating answers was yeah. uh, the ability to manipulate the data. So 
You know, when when I'm showing something to my CEO and he wants to see good picture, it's really easy to do this because I can yeah. I can game the data any which way I want. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. all right, that's guys. We're almost mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, I I want to start wrapping this up. Uh, Vitaly, thank you for uh, great answers. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Uh, here's let me turn the tables a little bit. Uh, do you have? Any questions for Irina or myself? If, if you know, if you were interviewing us, not the other way around, uh, do you have anything uh, you may want to ask? And given that Irina has a vast experience in product management, and I have some as well. No, no, I do not have any questions, guys. But I want to say thank you for having me here. So this is this was a very pleasure for me, and thanks a lot. And looking forward to see you again. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Vitaly, Irina. Thank you so much for great questions. So thank you guys for uh, being on our podcast, and hopefully we'll uh, see you guys more. We'll definitely want to hear more about uh, data-driven approach, uh, specifically coming from uh, this ex- experience designer, not from product managers. Thank you, guys, uh, for having me here as well. And, Vitaly, special thanks to you for sharing your insights. I think you, you know, uh, with your practical background and experience, it it might sound a little bit controversial, uh, controversial but that's always great. And actually, you know, uh, I think you've covered quite a number of topics that would cause lots of discussions going forward. And thank you for doing that a lot. Oh, yeah, I'm counting on that. I'm counting on more discussions. Thank you, Vitaly. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to The Real World Product Management, and I've been your host, Vlad Grubman. Until the next time...